Turn with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10 for our text tonight. A principle that, as we stand on the step of a new year, so to speak, 12 days in, a great principle for us to remember, whether we are where we feel we should be in our Christian life or whether we aren't there but want to get to where we should be, a great principle to remember, what you sow, you will reap. What you sow, you will reap. Follow with me before I open in prayer, please. Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Father, we thank you for the word of God. God, we need great truths in our lives daily, continually. And this is one, Lord, from your word that we need to often remind ourselves that what we do today will bear fruit tomorrow. Father, may we prepare our hearts as we step into your word for a few minutes. And God, may we leave here changed with a renewed determination to put you first, to pursue you, and to apply your word into every aspect of our lives, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul states this principle, what you sow, you will reap. As we step into this passage and we see him using a farmer on the agriculture terminology, you know, what a farmer sows depends on what he will reap. If he sows sparsely, do you think he'll reap or expect to have an abundant harvest? Or if he sows um, sparingly, if he sows poor seed, he's not going to have a great harvest. He's not going to have an abundant harvest. So the same in our lives as we step into the Word of God. What I sow in my life today, I better be prepared because it's going to bring harvest tomorrow. But well, this is not a passage that, or a principle that's suddenly um, true here in the New Testament with Paul. It's really throughout the whole Bible we see this truth taught. To ancient Israel, God warned in Numbers 32, Be sure your sin will find you out. Or he spoke in Job chapter 4, verse 8, So evil, so trouble, reap the same. Or Hosea 4, 8, verse 7, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. And on and on it goes through the Nebuchadnezzar's and Belshazzar's, an example throughout the pages of Scripture, that what we sow, we will reap. And yet we see that principle always true around us as we step into the modern world, so to speak, into our modern era. Um, I think of a man that lived in the late 1800s. I'm Oscar Wilde. I lived the last 46 years of the the 1800s. He was an author, um, but he was a man that really went into, fell into a a pretty degenerate lifestyle. Um, Unfortunately, that would be pretty acceptable today. Um, But he was in prison for two years for his indecency, his gross indecency with other men. Um, He then left England, and he fell into, um, with male prostitute, blackmailing, um, homosexual um, brothels, and he wrote at the end of his life, I forgot somewhere along the line that what you reap in secret will, one, will someday cry aloud from the, from the rooftop. Um, author Ernest Hemingway was famous for, for just snubbing God and for mocking God's law and for mocking God's morality. And he wrote this in, a, in, a, in mocking the Lord's Prayer. 
Arunada, who art in Nada, Nada be thy name. Thy kingdom, Nada, thy will be Nada, as it is in Nada. Give us this Nada, our daily Nada, and Nada us our Nada, as we Nada our Nadas. You know, the end of Hemingway's life proved that what you sow, you will reap, as he took a shotgun and blasted himself into eternity. You know, we step into this principle that what we sow, we will reap. Someone, if I were to put it into a big idea, may we not be deceived. Don't be deceived because what we sow, we will reap. And that's something that we need to be reminded of in, in our men's, men's ministries as leaders, as, as dads, in our, in, as housewives, as ladies' ministry, um, with teens. God, what I sow today will come to fruition tomorrow. As we step into this, pipe, in this passage, really the shadow of Galatians chapter 6 is, is, is Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 23. And I think that's really a, a heart of the passage as he has outlined, these are the works of the flesh, and yet here's the fruit of the Spirit. And he's picking back up on that theme in a little bit broader fashion than the, the six verses of, of chapter 6 previous that are a little more specific. But he zeroes in in broad fashion, and he starts, he continues his conversation. Let me keep talking about the flesh. Let me keep talking about the spirit so that we can sow spiritual, will one day reap spiritual, but beware, if you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. So we step into verse 7. And he gives us a a strong negative warning. He says, do not be deceived. This word deception is the Greek word from which we get um, our English word planet, the planets, to wander wander around, to be led astray, um, to go off off course, so to speak. And he's warning, he says, "Do do not be deceived. He uses the same word, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, when it says, do not be deceived, Good company, I mean, bad company will corrupt your morals. He says, don't, don't be deceived. Don't think that you could do this and get away with it. God's word is so accurate. God's word is spot on in giving us warnings as to what will happen. You know, deception. How many of you in here say, you know, I like to be deceived? Is, are you in that camp? You know, we don't like to be deceived when, when our if, if our children were ever to do that or if a spouse were to do that or a friend were to do that, it's not, it's not something that we enjoy. Where does deception come from? Who's the father of deceit? John chapter 8. Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of deceit. That's his native language. Satan speaks deceit. Satan speaks lies. And we see it throughout the scriptures that he's a liar so we shouldn't be tempted to believe Satan's lies. We shouldn't be tempted to, to believe, say, hey, you know what? It's okay if you do this over here. Nobody's going to know. Satisfy yourself. It's okay. You're not, there'll be no problem with tomorrow's consequences or with tomorrow's harvest or with reaping. But God warns us that we are not to be deceived God is not, here's the reason, because God will not be mocked. So don't, don't, don't be deceived. Don't delude yourself. Don't think that you could do one thing and that we could get away with it and there won't be any consequences because he says, here's the reason. God is not going to be mocked. God doesn't take the mocking. We look at this, this word mocking. It, it means to turn your, your nose at something. Let's say, um, 
the ladies were to prepare such a fine meal that Pam's talking about now, and it was to be delivered to, to it, and someone was to look at it, and they were to say, oh, you know, person that's receiving, well, I don't like that meal, and they just turn their nose and close the door on you. That's not going to happen, but that, that's the kind of idea of snubbing. God's not going to be snubbed. God's not going to have his nose turned up at. God's not going to be, be ignored. God's not going to be held in contempt. That when we, and he's talking about our behavior. If we think that we could act this way and it's not going to have a payday, then we are deceiving ourselves and we are being deceived by the wicked one. God will not be mocked. And he's going to drive home the point that payday will come. Fact to be faced, God will cause us to reap what we have sowed. Um, as we continue down and we see here's the principle that he drives home. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's bars in, a, in the field of agriculture that what I plant today, what I nurture today, what I water today, what I pursue today, it will have a payday. It will bring a harvest tomorrow. But he says, God will not be mocked. There will be a payday. We cannot ignore what God says. There will be justice that will be, that will be meted out. The crop that I plant today in the soil in the springtime will tomorrow in the fall bring forth a harvest. You know, a saying we're familiar with, but if I could change it a little bit, we may fool all of the people some of the time, or we may fool some of the people um, all of the time, but we will never fool God any of the time. God just will not be fooled. We think of Scripture. We think of David and Bathsheba. I mean, here's David, and it starts out with an ominous note. When kings go forth to battle, but David was left behind. And then he thought he could get away with it, and he tried to cover up in his brilliant, wicked scheme. And then the next chapter says, when Nathan confronted him and talked about this story, this elaborate story, then he says, David, you are the man. And then God unfolded his payday, which was a heavy, heavy burden of how his house would be judged and torn apart and, and the chaos that would come upon his house. I will raise up evil upon you and your house. And sure enough, Absalom and children that were murdered and the kingdom torn away from him. This principle that what I, what I sow today, I will reap tomorrow, applies to every aspect of our lives. 1998, we had a men's prayer breakfast. I pastored on Long Island for, for 20 years. And uh, one of the men of the church, after we were done, we walked out of the diner. He said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And we pulled off to the side and talked for quite a while. And he just poured out his heart. You know, I, my daughter comes home, and she just runs up into her room and closes the door and has no contact with the family, does nothing with us. And she was in ninth grade. And I, I said to him, I said, friend, you need to just pour yourself into her life. Because he was a success, successful um, accountant for the Long Island Railroad, but he also was an outstanding carpenter. He had fixed up his home like it was an awesome home, best home on the block. But then that wasn't enough. He was doing jobs for other people. And I could look around and say, well, he built a porch over there, and he did this for them over there. He worked in their bathroom there, and he was working in the neighborhood. I said, stop the working. Invest in your daughter. Invest in her life. A year later, after nothing changed, payday is getting closer and closer. I'm at Baptist Bible College in a men's retreat, and a man from um, 
The First Baptist Church of Hempstead, about 15 miles away, was there. And he happened to be the counselor of the Christian school where this daughter went. And he said something that a counselor should never be, betray confidence, but I, still I think it was led of God, God to tell me this. And I said, maybe you better tell me the rest of this. And finds out that the daughter would go to this man's office and just cry out her heart, I just want my dad to spend time with me. He's always so busy. So I said, may I have permission to tell this? So I went back and I, I told Warren, I said, listen, you told me how you took a, a bike trip to long, from Long Island through the Sound up into Connecticut. Take your daughter on a one-week bike trip. Do something exotic. Nothing changed until a year later when she ran away with her boyfriend. was gone for months. It was all over. Uh, something that as I heard, hadn't recovered. But payday, you know, that what I sow, if I sow as a father, lack of attention or as a um, lack of care and not invested, it's going to reap a payday that will be a horrific harvest. The child of God is not exempt from consequences. Yes, we will have consequences. But praise God, we won't have the serious consequence of eternal separation because once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, once saved, always saved but doesn't mean that we still won't have consequences. We still won't have heartaches. We won't have wounds. We won't have shame. We won't have pain. There will be a payday. But with this principle as a backdrop, now he starts to apply it in verse 8. He explains God's law. And he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This, this verse really applies as a matter of, of its whole issue that he's talking about, this sowing and reaping. It's really a matter of, you ready, sanctification. It's really a matter of our holy walk. Um, the whole issue that he's driving home here, and he's really borrowing from what he just talked about, works of the flesh or, or fruit of the spirit, as he steps back into Galatians 5, 16 and following. And he's laying out this, this truth. You know, sin no longer reigns in our lives. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, um, sin, sin isn't the king in our lives. Um, we can, now, don't get me wrong on this, I'm not pressing a holiness movement, but we'll, we'll never sin, but we cannot sin. We could say no to sin, but, because once we've accepted Christ as our Savior and we submit to God, sin doesn't have to reign in our lives, but it still remains in our lives. It's, and that's where the flesh is. It still is, is present in our lives. You know, the Christian, we have two fields in which, we could, in which we could harvest. What are the two fields? Right here in this verse. We have the flesh. What's the other one? With the spirit. So he's giving us two fields in that I can pull my harvest in. Two fields that I can plant seed, which we'll get to in a moment. And the, and the field is either the flesh or the other field is the spirit. You know, we have, the wrong, we have desires to, to, to please the flesh. Then I just want to live for myself. I want to put myself first. I don't want anything to do with God. It's all about me. I, me, mine, myself. This is the kingdom that I'm building. I'm self-centered. I'm shutting God's word, God's will. Well, then that's plowing according to the flesh. It's our, our sinful desires that yearn to, to push God aside. You know, the flesh wants to be indulged in in, in, in our own selfishness, in our own desires outside of the will of God. God's word says this, but I just boot, boot it aside, and I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to put this true in my life. And yet the Spirit of God is calling us as we would apply, we would um, plant in the, in the spiritual field. 
The question in this passage that's being addressed is, you ready? What field will I plant in? Isn't that the real question? As we're looking at verse 8, what field will I plant in? Am I going to plant in the fleshly field or will I plant in the spiritual field? You know, we, we every day have that choice. Um, young men, if I could talk to you for a moment, as you are about to go out on a date with your girlfriend or men that, boys that are someday will have that choice. And as you're going out, you have a choice tonight. As I'm going out tonight, I have a choice in what field I'm going to plow in and what field I'm going to plant in, okay? Or as we go home tonight and you get on the computer, you have a choice tonight. What field will I plant in tonight, the fleshly or the spiritual? If your spouse says something that just irks you and you're about to give a response, you have a choice to make. Now, as I give this response, what field will I plant in as in my response? We may face a health issue, and this health issue just shocks us, and we hear that C word that just rattles us, cancer. And it's pretty serious. Now you have a choice to make. What field will I plant in now? Will I plant in the fleshly or will I plant in the spiritual? John Stott wrote this. Um, as we, we talk about, we, you know, we could, we could sow to please our flesh, and we might ask the question, well, what, what, is, the, what is the flesh? What is the opportunities that, that we have um, that we could plant? What does it mean to plant or to sow in the flesh? And he, John, author John Stott wrote, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh, Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. You see, we're talking about what field, flesh or spiritual, but you know what the seed is? What's the seed? If we have the field, it could be, Flesh or spiritual, but what's the seed in each one of those fields? There's only two seeds, I think. I mean, maybe there's three. But it's going to be our thoughts and our actions, right? As I look at this field, this fleshly field or this spiritual field, it's all to do with my thoughts, my actions. Okay, I get it, our heart. But as I make these choices in my thoughts and my actions, I'm deciding which field I'm going to go to, which field I'm going to pursue, when we think of the spiritual field, I think of Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. You know, God, as I, I make a choice today that I want to sow in the, in the spiritual, I want to think on these things that are godly. I want to then have these desires that are pure, that are righteous. God, I want to pursue you. I want to know you. Fleshly or spiritual, what field will, will I be sowing in today? You ever, you ever Christians have Christians ask you, and maybe because of our role as pastors, I, I hear this question often or this idea why can't I have victory over this habit why I'm not sure I don't feel saved I just don't feel that 
that God, God is there for me. He seems so distant. He seems so far. You know, I just don't, you know, I'm not, not saying question my salvation, but I, I accepted Christ. I put, put my faith and trust in him, but it just doesn't seem real. What's the problem? See, the whole problem is to feel that they're sowing in, right? Isn't that the whole problem? Of course you're going to doubt your salvation. Of course you're going to feel cold to God. Of course you're going to ask, where is God? Of course you're going to wonder why you're not holier. Well, it shouldn't be, it's not rocket science, right? If I plant in the fleshly and I'm living like this, like the world, maybe a fair merit to, to question one's salvation if that's all the fruit you're seeing. But assuming that one is a genuine believer, they're going to have such questions because they're continually living and planting in the wrong field. Their seeds of thought and actions continually being nurtured in godless things. But Paul is begging the Galatian believers, be aware of the principle that what you sow, you will reap. And moving forth, um, we see the, the, the kind of fields, and or should I say the results, he says, from the flesh you'll reap corruption, or so to the spirit you'll reap eternal life. So we have the flesh, we have the fields that's identified, right? We have the, the flesh and the spirit. And we have the seed that's identified by our thoughts or action. Now he's talking or identifies the harvest. He's looking at two harvests, corruption or eternal life. Um, corruption. That's not a very inviting word, right? You know, there are a lot of words that I would put with corruption, like maybe Dallas Cowboys and, yeah, no, I'm sorry. But, you know, corruption, something that's, that's decomposing, something that's putrid, something that just stinks. We, we think of John 11, Lord, he's been in the tomb for four days, he's, he stinks. Speaking of Lazarus. <clears throat> So things that are corrupting. So if we, we are living in the, in the flesh, if we're pursuing the flesh, then, then we better be, be, be ready for decomposition, destruction, um, just things that stink, things that are horrific. When man turns his back on God, payday will come, Oscar Wilde, Ernest Hemingway, and on and on it could go. It's going to be corruption. It's going to be something that's horrific. There's little, little surprises when one has lived such a life of pushing God to the side, then they wake up and their life is a mess, is a nightmare. But God's word is so awesome that if we just plan in the spiritual, that, that we desire living out Galatians 5.16, Galatians 5.18, Ephesians 5.18, um, living in the spirit, walking in the spirit, filled with the Spirit. God, I want to just live in the Spirit. I want to have the Word of God control me. I want to frame my world in the biblical worldview. And I want my thoughts and my actions to be gauged by your Word as I live in the Spirit of God, guided by the Spirit of God. I want to be a defender of your truth. I want to know your truth. I want to live out your truth this year, God. Let me, this in, in my whole life, God, I just want to be one that's living by truth then we're going to be living in that, in, in that righteous field, in the spirit-filled field, spirit field, and we'll experience eternal life. You know, eternal life isn't just, you know, the wage of sin is death, give to God eternal life. You know, we have this ticket, we're going to live forever in heaven. It begins now. 
once talking to my mailman on Long Island, and uh, great conversations. He never accepted the Lord, but we were sitting on the porch in the summer and drink lemonade, and one of our conversations as I was pressing this whole point, he says, I'm not so concerned, and I realized I was having the wrong emphasis, I'm not so concerned about eternal life in the future, I'm concerned right now. So then I banged on, eternal life is, is the very life of God. It's the life that we have now. It's a quality of life. The scripture's not so much emphasizing the quantity, though that's true, but it's the quality of life that I get eternal life now. When I accept Christ as my Savior, I get to live the very life of God by working, by living, by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, pursuing the fruit of the Spirit, and then having plowing in the spiritual field. So he's stressing this is, this is the gift, this is the benefit, this is the blessing that we have now in our lives. So our thoughts and our actions, God, may they be Spirit-filled. May we sow in a spiritual, in a spiritual field May God be honored by our thoughts and our actions, by all that we do. We heard this saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. God, I want to reap a destiny. I want to reap a character that that brings you glory for all of eternity. But Paul presses on, and we step into some great applications in verses 9 and 10. And God's law is attained, and he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, Puritan John Brown wrote, Many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. I mean, I don't know about you. I just sometimes am so impatient. You know, I just want to, you know, what's sow today, I want to see fruit right now. You know, and you, 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 you talk to someone, you share the gospel with someone, or you counsel someone, you're calling them up shortly thereafter, give time, you know. But here we're seeing this whole, this whole principle that what we sow, what we reap, um, may be to the glory of God. But let us not grow weary, he says. Don't grow weary. And there's two ideas that are similar, different wording but similar, the word weary and the, and the phrase if we do not give up. It's both speaking of don't become weary. Don't lose, don't lose courage. Don't lose heart. We might be prone to think of people that we have pray, been praying for for a long time. This is certainly true of them. I mean, don't, don't lose heart. Keep praying. Keep plugging away. Keep begging of God to break down their heart's door. But it's broader than that. It's far more than that. May we not grow weary in doing good. You ever get tired of just doing good? Don't nod your head. <laughs> That's not where we want to go. Uh, But don't get weary in that. May we not give up. And he's pressing and he's begging. He's begging the Galatian believers, um, keep keep pressing, keep keep doing good, keep doing for the glory of God. With the context of I'm sowing in a spiritual field, I'm reaping in a spiritual field. And I look at at different folk here, and and I get it. It's more of the choir on a Sunday night, but we appreciate your faithfulness. We appreciate um, shower trailer ministries, uh, incredible um, what what men do, um, deacons, and all you do with with the books, and you know time that you spend in music ministry and dramas. You guys are about to live here um, for um, a couple months here as you're writing your scripts in the ministry. And but may we not grow weary. Praise God for the health that you have to keep doing that. But not only do we want to keep doing it, we want to dig in harder and do more for the glory of God. That's what he's saying. Don't get weary in, in doing good. Don't get, get weary in the goodness that, that God is using you in your life. You know, when we, 
we think of how we've been so blessed in the Christian life, this verse strikes as, as an, an anomaly, an, an odd verse kind of. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. I'm saying, what a, an odd verse. But it's not so much an odd verse because God knows our hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what's really odd. I mean, why, why do I need such a verse? Why, why do I have to, I wake up after a, sometimes weeks if I were to confess and it just seems like I don't miss my devotions, but God, where have you been? No, God, you didn't leave. God, where did I go? And then as I cry out and get the heart attuned again, not to wonder, why, is, why do I need verse 9? Why don't I remember my position in Jesus Christ that I know God, my Savior, <clears throat> Positional truth, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that has just transformed my eternity. And God, why don't I put my hand to the plow out of gratitude and serve you and exhaust it every night, pressing on for you because of your love to you. One of the songs we sang talked about that love. I guess many of them did, but one caught my attention. God, may I never get over your love. May I never get over what you've done for me. But I need a verse. Don't, don't grow weary and well-doing knucklehead Crompton, remember what I've done for you. God's pretty gracious. Maybe he wouldn't speak that way. But don't grow weary in doing good. You know, good for the glory of God. God, may I keep loving you supremely and love others sacrificially. We need to wrap up. I don't think you want to, um, Pastor talked about long messages and boring, so we'll have to... um, Streamline it here. Um, verse, verse, end of verse 9. For in due season we, we shall reap if we do not give up. In due season, God is saying, you know, at the suitable time, at the right time, you're going to reap if, if you don't quit because God's word is truth. God is true. God is not a liar. Satan's a deceiver. What we sow, we will reap. And you reap purity. You reap in the spiritual field. There will come a day that your reaping will produce good. And he says, so don't quit. Don't get weary. Don't, don't, don't quit doing what God wants you to do because in due season, you know, that due season will be in God's time and God's sovereign. God will bring that, that unsaved person. God will bring you that, that mate if that's his will. God will bring that answer, that, that, home, that, that wayward child in God's timing. But we're to be found faithful and keep pressing on. And he says in verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. Um, it doesn't mean like, you know, oh, God, you brought an opportunity to me today. This is awesome. Thank you. God, thank you for this opportunity that I get to impact others. I think it's really referring to that our, that our whole life is an opportunity. We have an opportunity continually. You know, I, I sometimes will pray, God, bring people into my path and, I, and then I'll say, God, I'm sorry, that's the wrong prayer. May I see the people that you're bringing into my path. You see, because life is an opportunity that God continually brings before us to plant in the right field and that see God bring a harvest for his glory. We don't have time to talk about William Carey, but a man that persevered seven years. Here I go, I'm telling you about it. But this is the abbreviated. <laughs> Here's the abbreviated. Seven years um, in India. And at the end of the seventh year, not having seen any converts, you know, week after week, month after month, and then a guy named Krishna Pal um, accepted the Lord, and God just opened up the floodgates of seeing many people come to know Christ. But that's faithfulness, that we keep our hand on the plow and keep doing it. 
Verse 10, not really time to, to keep looking at it, but a pretty sweet verse. Um, let, us have op- let us take the opportunity to do good. And, and if, I'm, if I remember correctly, that, verse, that word is the same word that we see um, in, where is it? Um, in, in Galatians 5.22, goodness. Um, and it really has an article in front of it, I think, right, Pastor? It's a really definite article. It's like specifically the goodness. This is the goodness, and it's tying back to the, the goodness that God has done inwardly as is demonstrated outwardly. Do goodness to others, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we have opportunities continually about us, not just to outsiders, but inside. The ladies' ministry, that's a good ministry. Um, cooking meals, um, doing things that just love upon other people and just care for others. Um, may this be a year that we keep planting in the spiritual and to see in due time God will bring forth a harvest. You know what? Let us not grow weary. Sometimes you've been a teacher, you sign up, you know how that goes. I'll teach for this year and Maybe that's kind of like you with the treasure. You know, I'll be a treasure this year, and here you are 45 years later still doing it. <laughs> Let's not grow weary. We're blessed. We're blessed to serve God. I'm, we're blessed to be his children. We're, we're blessed to get at the end of our lives, and, and, and when we're about to breathe our last breath, and we look back and say, God, what an awesome ride. I wish I had done more, but by your grace, thank you for all I've done. God, we love you. We thank you for, for your grace and your goodness in our lives. Father, we pray that this year will be different for your glory as we think about which field we will choose. May we choose the spiritual field. God, may we get into the Word of God and read it and apply it, and may we get to know you as we never have before. May we continue to confess our sins and pour out ourselves to you, walking closer and closer. May we thirst as the deer thirst for water. God, may we get to know you, our refuge, our fortress, in a sweet way. And Father, at the end of the year, may we look back, and not for ourselves, but completely for your name being exalted. May we thank you for the good that's been done, for the word that's been planted, perhaps some that have come to know Christ, the saints that have been encouraged, how we, by your grace, have been able to use our time, our talents, our treasures, completely for your purposes to advance your kingdom. God, may this be a year that we make much of you and little of ourselves. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Lord bless, you're dismissed.